0: The following episode is a repeat of one of our most popular Carmelite Conversations programs. Well welcome to Carmelite Conversations. This is Frances Harry and it is a joy to be with you. My co-host, Mark Danis, is not able to be here tonight. He's helping his in-laws. He's needed. Um, But I assure you, he's keeping us in prayer. And so I ask you to keep him and his family in your prayers. Um, Mark and I were in the midst of a series on The Hidden Saint Uh, The Discouse Carmelite nun, St. Teresa Margaret Reddy of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. You know, she's one of the youngest Carmelite saints that we have, having died at only 22 years of age. Uh, Her nickname is the Little Flower of Florence because she's from Florence, Italy. And her motto um, was return love for love we are using this one book as a um, big resource it's called God is love and it's by Margaret Rowe and it's about the life of Teresa Margaret Reddy and the last week we left off um, we were discussing Teresa Margaret's struggle for detachment but before we get into that conversation I would like to begin with a prayer, as we always do. So let us get recollected. Let us think of God present within, and sign ourselves in the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Holy Spirit, sweet guest of my soul, abide in me, and grant that I may ever abide in thee. O infinite love, I love thee. Do thou confirm and increase my love, May the grace of the Holy Spirit enlighten our hearts and refresh them abundantly with the sweetness of perfect charity. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. That was a prayer from Aspirations to the Holy Spirit. And you know, we always need the Holy Spirit to help us know how to respond more deeply to the call to union with God, to teach us how to love. As I said before we are discussing in depth um, the life of Saint Teresa Margaret Reddy of the Sacred Heart of Jesus and she gives us uh, lots of examples on how that we too may answer God's call. Today's conversation will help us consider the following points because some of you are probably saying well what does this have to do with me? Well maybe these points will will uh, tug at your heart And you'll be listening for um, how that you may be helped. One of the points is how to grow in our detachment of others so as to always put God first. How to practice the presence of God throughout our day and what does the position of our body do to help us in prayer. How to find God everywhere and how we can grow in love in the challenges of serving our neighbor. How difficult people in our lives can serve as a staircase to heaven. Yes, the challenge of difficult people, how they can lead us to heaven. Suggestions for self-mastery through the saint's example. How to use the little difficulties in our daily life to grow. And what is the purpose of spiritual challenges? So let's start with a point about St. Teresa Margaret's own um, personal struggle in overcoming herself her own will in dying to self her greatest struggle in this regard was with her father uh, because she was very close to her father she wondered if the deep natural love that she had for her father would impede the union with God that she so desired now here we can think of St. Teresa of Avila and St. Teresa the Little Flower, both of whom had great love for their fathers. Now this love, even though they were separated in space, became more spiritual once the daughters had entered the comet and actually this love became deeper and more purified despite this separation. So in this situation, St. Teresa Margaret Reddy is talking to Mother Anna Maria and she says well what shall I do and so Mother Anna Maria is giving her advice she says first of all you must make quite certain that your attitude towards this matter is supernatural it is a grave mistake to believe that one becomes a perfect religious when she has managed to crush and suppress all human feelings And Teresa Margaret says, well, I feared I might be lacking in the absolute detachment or self-discipline that I feel God is asking of me. And Mother Anna Maria replies, my child, what we are asked to do is not to crucify our natural affections, but to purify them. And that with vigilance and prayer and the help of God's grace is possible. Do you think Mary did not love her son tenderly or that there was anything lacking in his affection for her or Saint Joseph's for them both? Do not ever make the mistake of thinking that those who love nobody are necessarily on the road to loving God. That is not the example the holy family gave us. Teresa Margaret replies, yes, that's true. I I see it quite clearly. And yet, I do not know how to set about acquiring such discipline, for you know also how strongly attached I am to Papa. I feel for him and with him in every joy and sorrow as though they were happening to me. Well, the author, Margaret Rowe, says in this book, it was in making this heroic act of abandonment that Teresa Margaret learned the real meaning of detachment. It is not a cutting out of one's heart a refusal of all human affection. Rather, it is to love more deeply and tenderly, but in Christ and for Christ, free from the taint of self-interest and self-seeking that resides in so much sensible affection. When we love a person because of the pleasure we derive from the relationship, it's actually ourselves we are loving. And from the pain of her voluntary renunciation a new and closer bond developed between these souls who sought nothing but the will of God. And you know, um, they made a pact with each other. They, they knew the separation was going to happen when Teresa Margaret entered the convent. And so they made a pact. And her father wrote in a letter, each evening before retiring, she would seek me In the heart of Jesus and she expressed a desire that we help each other spiritually and so he responded to her yes dearest daughter I desire to visit you spiritually in the heart of Jesus where you love to dwell I shall always find you and so always and at all times they could make this tryst with each other in the sacred heart whose burning love had communicated something of his ardor to their own. And this is a very beautiful spiritual practice to to start. And in fact, I have incorporated this in my life, and I've told many a friend that I would meet them um, spiritually in the sacred heart of Jesus. So I encourage you to also try that. And now we're going to look at um, St. Teresa Margaret's active living in the presence of God. Part of this was her deep devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and that was a feast that we just celebrated this past Friday, and a topic that we addressed in one of the earlier broadcasts in this series. One of the central documents in the church for this devotion to the Sacred Heart is actually from Pope Pius XII's encyclical. It's called Hariatus Aquas, which simply means draw water. Here are Pope Pius XII's own words on the significance of this devotion. He stated, without any doubt, a burning devotion to the heart of Jesus will foster and advance our reverence for the Holy Cross especially and our love for the August sacrament of the altar. So he's talking about the devotion to the Sacred Heart will increase our love for the cross and our love for the Eucharist. Now, of course, um, he wrote this about 200 years after the time of St. Teresa Margaret. And so it's possible that he might well have drawn some of his inspiration directly from her life and her own great devotion to the Sacred Heart and how it developed over time. There are many aspects to this devotion but certainly one of the most significant and one that leads to Saint Teresa Margaret's living in the presence of God is how the revelation of the Sacred Heart demonstrates Christ's humanity and his great submission to the will of his Father. The very reality of the Incarnation speaks to this facts. In fact, um, when we read in St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, this would be chapter two, verse six and eight, we see evidence of this. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, some translations say grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This identification with Christ's humanity and his condescension, that's his lowering himself to become incarnate in humanity and and dying for our sins, they were the primary source of Teresa Margaret's great advancement in the spiritual life. She focused her efforts on trying to both understand and model the very heart and mind of Christ by imitating Christ's interior state, his humility, his abasement, his condescension, and his submission. She did this by continually keeping in mind all that Jesus had done and suffered during his earthly life. From the testimonies from her sister in Carmel, it seems clear that Teresa Margaret's practice of the presence of God, which is a term we borrow from Brother Lawrence, uh, the resurrection, another famous Carmelite, it revolved to a great extent around the Blessed Sacrament, to no surprise. According to Margaret Rowe's book, God is Love, Teresa Margaret not only kept our Lord company in the tabernacle, but she was also seen to genuflect anytime she was even in the corridor adjacent to where the Blessed Sacrament was kept. So uh, she was trying to uh, keep attention on uh, Jesus' presence. And um, so every time she passed by, she would genuflect. There's an interesting lesson to be learned here. You know, there's always going to be times in our prayer life when we experience dryness or perhaps even just an unwillingness to participate in our uh, required or promised prayer times. Some days we just don't feel like praying, right? It's in these moments that we may be tempted to fear that we're not serving the Lord well or that He's not pleased with us. The simple answer to this condition is to do what Teresa Margaret did. When we fear that our heart may not be into our prayer, it does not matter. In those times, we need to make sure to put our bodies into motion and see if the heart will follow. You know, it's all a matter of our will. And our bodies help us to express that. So, you know, what we mean here is it's nothing more than causing ourselves through our physical gestures to demonstrate that we are, in fact, disposing ourselves to the Lord in reverence and devotion. We can do this simply by bowing our head, folding our hands, kneeling, or even the full effect of laying prone on the ground in a full prostration, perhaps before a picture of the Lord or before the cross or the tabernacle. And we do this in a way that allows our bodies to model what we desire our hearts to project. Well, Teresa Margaret had many such gestures that she would use both to demonstrate what she wanted the Lord to know about her love for him and also to help her keep her mind focused and her attention turned to the Lord. These were devotional practices that she incorporated as a means to habitually remember the Lord. So here she's she's practicing the presence of the Lord. And she accumulated uh, quite a variety of these small pious practices um, which she faithfully uh, did through many years. Um, For example, um, like I said before, genuflecting when passing in the vicinity of the Blessed Sacrament or sitting when working so that she was turned towards the tabernacle and if possible doing so on her knees. And before going to sleep each night, she would turn once more to face the tabernacle. Margaret Roe, however, tells us that these devotional exercises did not have the effect of cluttering or stifling her spirit, something that we need to watch out for. And, you know, sometimes we have too many vocal prayers or devotions But these for Teresa Margaret were primarily interior movements of recollection and love in the presence of God. Teresa Margaret said, when two people love one another, they naturally think of each other. So having given her heart completely to God, her her thoughts instinctively returned to him in every circumstance, unfrequently in the course of her occupations. In all there was no constraint um, no special effort for instance to formulate an act of lug at, at given periods it became habitual um, such mechanical regulation is not necessary for for Teresa Margaret you know it was this simple interior glance and and I'm thinking of st. Teresa the little flower who said a glance toward heaven and she was using that uh, in talking about prayer so as i said these gestures were a continual reminder to her of god's presence in her life in addition to these more formal gestures however she had matured in her ability to simply find god in everything and everywhere including all of creation her spiritual director father idelfonts confirms this by saying the visible things of creation always have the effect of raising her mind and heart to God with a wonderful facility. In her prayer the mysteries of the life passion and death of our Lord as well as meditation on his sacred humanity all led her to a lofty contemplation which is often profound and absorbing. okay so as I say these gestures were a continual reminder to her of God's presence in her life Um, and so these are uh, practices that we too may imitate Teresa Margaret's great gift the one she spent all of her time perfecting was to look for God in everything and she realized even at her relatively young age, because she entered the convent at 17. She realized that we do not need to go looking for God in foreign countries or special shrines or even in a church. Of course, these are very admirable practices in themselves. But Teresa Margaret recognized, as St. Elizabeth of the Trinity long after her uh, realized, that the Beloved is found within each one of us. Teresa Margaret said uh, that God is always found when he alone is sought. He surrounds us in his creation as well as in his presence on our altars. She said, I do not envy the angels in heaven apart from their enjoyment of the beatific vision. Do we not have God dwelling in our midst? So just think of that. And she would often exclaim, May the sacred heart of Jesus in the blessed sacrament be praised, loved, and worshipped in all the tabernacles of the world. Ah, what continual irreverence he receives from man in his own house. In his humility he deigns to dwell in our midst, yet how often he is neglected and forgotten, left in empty churches, while in his turn he never grows weary of this lonely vigil. Truly, love is not loved. Well, now we're gonna look at how uh, living in the presence of God plays out in her interaction with others. And we can learn much from her examples of how she treated others. As we mentioned, um, gestures are helpful And they both motivate the heart and confirm our resolutions to the Lord when we may not be experiencing much in the way of emotion. But this true presence must come from an interior disposition as well. First, I should go without saying that none of what we do could be sustained without prayer. And prayer that is constantly nourished by love. But since we do not have the opportunity to serve the Lord himself in any material way, he has provided us with our brothers and sisters to serve us as his material substitute. Teresa Margaret understood the words of the scripture passage from the letter of St. John, where he wrote, and this is from John, 1 John, uh, chapter 4, verse 20. Those who say, I love God and hate their brothers and sisters are liars, For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. You know, there was an interesting incident which demonstrated the links to which Teresa Margaret took this verse. It seems that there was a young postulant um, who had developed some type of medical condition that ultimately would result in her dismissal. And because this woman sat right next to Teresa Margaret in the choir there was no doubt that Teresa Margaret would have spotted this condition in the girl. When Teresa Margaret was questioned about this uh, by Mother Anna Maria, Teresa Margaret responded that she believed she had done the right thing by remaining silent about the medical condition of this other person and that ultimately it would be God's will if this girl should leave. Teresa Margaret did not feel that it was her place to involve herself in that process. In fact, she said, and this is great advice for us. She said, dear mother, I once read in a book this excellent advice. She who desires peace must see, suffer and be silent. True, there are things that I cannot avoid noticing and at times they cause suffering. But I lose nothing by being silent about them. That is something that rests entirely with me. And I have tested the truth of the words in practice. I have done that, and I have found peace. I can think of no safer guide in such manners than these words. Never meddle in the affairs of others, nor even allow them to pass through your mind, lest perchance you may be unable to fill fulfill your own task. Of course, it must be understood that Teresa Margaret firmly believed that God would always take care of every little detail in the lives of those who genuinely pursued him and loved him, and most importantly, uh, those who sought to give themselves to him entirely there in the convent, including that God would take care of all their needs. You know, God responds to our confidence in him, not in our efforts to manage our own affairs. Teresa Margaret uh, answered this question of Mother Anna Maria's, who Mother Maria asked, you know, and you apply this advice to all things irrespective of the circumstances? Well, Teresa Margaret did answer her saying, irrespective of all circumstances, save obedience. So meaning except when she was needing to practice obedience. Silence and prayer are my refuge when in doubt. To speak to God about what we want, links our hands in some fashion with his divine liberality, just as in consultations between two friends. And while prayer and silence produce total abandonment to God's loving paternal providence, he has made us understand it by the words, cast all your care on him, for he hath care of you. We do not even have to pester him with the details of our requests, but merely put ourselves before him and repeat with the psalmist, Lord you know all my desires." Wow that is really significant. So consider for a moment this commitment to silence that St. Teresa Margaret speaks about. You know it's important to understand that it also applied to the process of discerning another's motivation in any incident. In other words she always made an effort to assume the actions of another person were always motivated to uh, by charity. So she she gave them the benefit of the doubt always thinking uh, they had uh, charity as the basis of their their actions even if it did not seem to uh, be the case from what she would see. She would simply accept in silence that another person's actions were always intended in the best way and she would not consider debating with herself, and certainly not with any other person, about what motivations they may have had in mind. So think how hard that might be for any of us to practice in situations, you know, because too often uh, uh, people are very suspect of another person's um, motivations. Okay, we're gonna take a break right now, and when we come back, We'll uh, talk about uh, one of the examples in Teresa Margaret's life um, where she conquered a lot of her self will uh, with difficult people. So, we're going to come back in just a few minutes, but we'll take a break and we'll be right back. Thank you. Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations. This is Frances Harry, and we were just getting ready to talk about a situation that Teresa Margaret Reddy, the Sacred Heart of Jesus, had was someone who was insane. And she was a very difficult person to deal with. And the challenge for Teresa Margaret was to overcome her fears and her repugnance when she was charged with taking care of this nun. And you might want to think about, um, you know, in our day and age, uh, we have a lot of people with Alzheimer's. And you know, think of how these patients are treated, and you know, maybe we have living among us living saints who are caring for the Alzheimer patients. Um, I'm going to be using a, a rather long quote from uh, Margaret Rowe's book, God Is Love, that is about Teresa Margaret, um, and I want to use this incident to point out that most of us would see this crazy nun, her name was Sister Louise, uh, they might see this difficult person as an obstacle to holiness. However, Teresa Margaret saw just the opposite. She saw this woman as a means for her to attain a greater degree of selflessness and sanctity. So actually, um, the crazy Sister Louise was going to be, part of the staircase to heaven for Teresa Margaret so Teresa Margaret was following this principle to resolve to do all things for the sick in the same manner as she would actually do for the person of Jesus Christ so that's her method okay so this sister Louise um, she had suffered a mental breakdown uh, that resulted in insanity and she was only Uh, about 30 years of age Um, but you know sometimes she would become violent uh, particularly towards anyone for whom she conceived one of her irrational aversions Um, she was kept in a separate apartment and looked off after as well as could be done and to the extent that she would be would be permitted during the periods when she had to be forcibly restrained Um, she was kept locked in her room there was no cure treatment known or attempted but she was cared for with a tenderness and devotion that were unknown in that air um, for the insane people so sister Louise um, sometimes developed a of an array of phobias and one of them was being most violent in the matter of food You know, she wanted certain things to eat and, you know, when it was within reason, her demands were met, but many times that was not the case and uh, when it didn't uh, appease Sister Louise, then she would, you know, have an outburst of rage. On one occasion, when Teresa Margaret was forced to withhold what Sister Louise had asked for, Teresa Margaret suggested this is the moment to offer Jesus the sacrifice which he expects from you well as one might imagine such a consideration did little to mollify the other and all the infirmarian that was Teresa Margaret received for her pains was a blow so she her her love was responded to with a hit Um, and you can be thinking of the scourging of Jesus here Where words are of no avail, Teresa Margaret would later say, the best thing is to have recourse to prayer and silence and to speak of such things with God alone. Well, you can imagine her charity was sorely challenged at times. Well, it was agreed that a firmer handling was better for Sister Louise than to indulge all of her whims. Um, Gradually, though, Sister Louise developed an intense aversion to sister Teresa Margaret she did not like her um, probably because she didn't appease all of her requests well one day verbal protest proving ineffectual sister Louise she grabbed a heavy dish and she hurled it at sister Margaret Teresa Margaret and uh, another nun happened to be there and, and managed to intercept it and Uh, From that time on, they had to remove anything that could be picked up and thrown. So this was a very uh, dangerous situation. The more eccentric Sister Louise's behavior became, the more gently, however, did St. Teresa Margaret Reddy treat her. Orders had been given that no one should remain alone with this sister in case she became quite unmanageable. And I'm going to quote here. One day, after the community had finished the midday meal, Sister Teresa Margaret took up a tray to Sister Louise. Probably expecting that, as usual, Sister Magdalene, the senior infirmarian, would follow her, for she left the door ajar. Well, Sister Teresa of Jesus Crucified happened to pass down the corridor a few minutes later and noticed that, instead of being locked as usual, the patient's door was standing open. She closed it without realizing that in doing so, she had locked Sister Teresa Margaret in with the insane nun who could not endure the sight of her. (laughs) Can you imagine what that was like? Well, many of us would have panicked, right? It's not like they had a a, a call button to use then. Well, it, it must have been a, a tough moment, but you know, it's this very incident that is revealing in many ways that illustrates Teresa Margaret's practical judgment and her common sense, as well as her charm and her power of persuasion. Saintly attributes, no doubt. Well, Teresa Margaret realized that the worst course of action was to give any indication of alarm, so do not look afraid. It was the siesta hour and the house was quiet. Nobody would pass along this way for an hour. So fortunately, the patient on this occasion took her food without any trouble and Sister Teresa Margaret got her onto her bed and settled comfortably. Then with no appearance of fuss or doing anything out of the ordinary and managing not to attract the attention of the other, she lay down on the floor at the foot of the bed where she could not be seen. And she took her midday siesta without Sister Louise realizing that she had remained in the room. And that was very good. Well, nobody missed Teresa Margaret until the bell rang for vespers. Where could she be? What happened to her? She couldn't be found in her cell or the infirmary. And well, it occurred to Sister Magdalene to look into the room of Sister Louise. And there they found Um, Teresa Margaret, quite serene and matter of fact about all of this adventure. Well, Sister Magdalene was not happy and she said, What's the meaning of this silly prank? I thought you were discreet and trustworthy, but as you seem not to be, you are obviously not a suitable person for this task. From now on, you will not serve Sister Louise or come into this room. Well, obviously she did not know that the door was shut on Teresa Margaret. Well, Sister Magdalene's agitation was obvious. Uh, She had realized the danger, of course, to which her young assistant had been exposed, but she was also annoyed at the needless risk taken as she believed had happened deliberately. While Teresa Margaret saw that it was useless to plead her case until Sister Magdalene had calmed down somewhat. So she made no attempt to explain what happened, but instead she went off to choir practice to recite Vespers and later on, uh, she then searched out Sister Magdalene and she said, you, you need not worry about me in the least, Sister, for I was able to take my siesta as usual. Sister Magdalene says, it was not your siesta I was worried about, but your life. Well, Sister Teresa Margaret turned on the full battery of her most winning smile and her charm and she says, Please, dear sister, she begged her, will you permit me to continue caring for this poor sister of ours? I'm sure you will. No, certainly not. Well, Sister um, Teresa Margaret felt distressed at being refused permission for a charge which, even though it tried her sorely at times, afforded her the consolation of serving God in his suffering members. Being able to tend this very needy person always kept before her Christ's words. I was sick and you cared for me. And as much as you did it for the least of my brethren, you did it for me. Well, suddenly the tears began to flow and Sister Magdalene stared at her aghast. My dear sister, are you ill? Teresa Margaret shook her head no. Then what on earth is the matter? Teresa Margaret said, you refuse me to allow me to perform this act of charity well I offer you instead the opportunity of performing an act of obedience Teresa Margaret said oh my dear sister if you only knew and then she dropped to her knees and held out her hands I beg of you for the love of God forgive me this once and allow me to serve sister Louise again I promise you I shall be most diligent in the future and take the greatest care my sister Magdalene nodded her head toward the tray very well then take it before it gets cold oh thank you thank you thank you rising quickly all trace of tears gone sister Teresa Margaret took the tray and with a happy face fled towards the locked room before sister Magdalene had a time to change her mind so if you follow the story you see that Teresa Margaret did not tell her that um, the door was shut on her so she didn't excuse herself um, she took responsibility and begged for the opportunity to consider continue serving uh crazy Louise um, because she wanted to serve Jesus in this suffering sister of hers so uh, sister Louise was her staircase to heaven so you know that is some way a perspective that we can use to deal with the difficult people in our own lives and and I think it starts uh uh, especially with mothers and newborn babies, you know, it's kind of disagreeable changing all those diapers and taking care of all the things that a baby does. <laughs> um, and yet we do it out of love, right? And on a more extreme level, here we have Teresa Margaret uh, tr- treating Sister Louise with this great gentleness and, and a great desire to serve her despite, you know, getting hit sometimes or getting yelled at. Because um, she she knew uh, the situation well. And it was a great opportunity for her. You know, even when it came to uh, Teresa Margaret's own preparation to receive communion, she always saw fit to put other people first. She knew in the center of her heart, and not just in her head, Christ's own words. And this is from Matthew chapter 25, verse 42. Uh, to, to 45 truly I tell you just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family you did it to me and so Teresa Margaret uh, talked about her preparation and while she's uh, taking care of of uh, other ill patients she said as for preparation Can there be any better than the performance of duties given one by obedience, particularly when it is also serving the sick? Even though I am in your cell, instead of inquire, I shall lose nothing, for God is not restricted either to time or space. I cannot think of any better preparation or one more pleasing to God than assisting his suffering members. It was this love for her sister in Carmel that also facilitated Teresa Margaret's desire to remain utterly forgetful of herself. She knew that if she focused on the needs of those around her, not only would she be fulfilling Christ's own words about serving others, but she also knew that such efforts would help her uh, keep her mind off her own problems. And in this example, we are going to talk about her self-mastery. Um, the author of the book, Margaret Rose, book, God is Love, says, Teresa Margaret's self-mastery, as well as her self-denial, excuse me, was extraordinary. As during this period, she herself was suffering many spiritual difficulties and trials. One day, Sister Magdalene noticed the apparent interior conflict with which Teresa Margaret was struggling and which she usually concealed so well. Why do you not speak of these troubles with Father Audifant, she asked. Teresa Margaret replied, "Ah, I must be about my father's business. So long as I strive to fulfill my obligations, there's no place in my life for the luxury of spiritual conversation and consolations. Now I wanna share um, an interaction that Teresa Margaret had with Sister Adelaide. Um, This is a person, a nun who was 80 years old. She was bedridden. Uh, She was failing in memory and she was almost deaf. In fact, she she used an ear trumpet, um, which is what they had in those days. Um, And and this tells us a lot um, about the love and the care that Teresa Margaret had for her patients and the consuming fire that she had for them. So it was one day towards the end of 1769. Sister Adelaide was very ill and she expressed a wish to make her confession immediately, and this would be to Father um, Idlefons. After hearing her confession, he tried to speak a few words of comfort, but she could hear little. But suddenly she called out, Sister Teresa Margaret! Well, immediately, Sister Teresa Margaret, who was in another room, put down what she was doing and she went to the patient. She raised the pillow and eased her position. Oh, thank you, thank you. I'm quite comfortable. Now, speak to me a little bit about the good God. Well, Teresa Margaret began to speak in a quiet voice, hardly above a whisper, suggesting acts of faith, resignation, and love. Watching her from the adjoining room, all the onlookers were marveled because Sister Adelaide, For all her deafness uh, followed the words of the infirmarian and appeared to derive great consolation from them. And Sister Teresa Margaret said this to Sister Adelaide, Sister, when you are in heaven, for the love of God, I beg you not to forget the promise which you made me. Now later, Father Idolfons asked, well, what is this promise they were talking about? And... He was told, oh, those two have made a pact, an agreement. As soon as our patient shall be in the presence of God, she is to ask him to permit Sister Teresa Margaret to join her quickly in order that she may love him without hindrance for all eternity and be fully united with the fount of divine charity. So this is their spiritual pact um, that she made because she wants to go to heaven. And this closely uh, resembles the longing expressed by St. Paul, I desire to be dissolved and to be with Christ. Father Idafant Slater said about Teresa Margaret, her mind and heart were always drawn towards God. And she had a truly burning desire for an early death and quick liberation from the prison of the flesh in order to love him eternally without any obstacle. Well, less than four months after this incident, Teresa Margaret was indeed with Christ in God. She had died. If the cause of her death actually was her hernia, it's more than likely that it was lifting the heavy, inert body of Sister Adelaide that she strained herself. In which case it provides a a delightful seal to their simple pact. When Father Ilefons was informed of her sudden death um, he said about Teresa Margaret, death itself was the final victorious consummation of this hidden fire that burned within her and to her might very aptly be applied the words of scripture the Lord thy God is a consuming fire. Recall from this story how just after her profession, Mother Anna Marie had said to her that this would be the last ceremony until they buried her. And until that day, all she needed to do was continue to die to self. And this was then the complete consummation of that suggestion. Again, Teresa Margaret understood that the way to bring about this total death was through a series of smaller but painful and continual deaths to self. We must endure all the little difficulties, great trials, small discomforts, and even agonizing sufferings in order to take on Christ's sufferings in our own bodies. And we have from Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. I am now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Now, you know, there's some rules that we can take on suffering. It's the little difficulties, the great trials, the small discomforts or agonizing sufferings. All are meritorious insofar as we unite them to the passion of Christ. And as, Saint, as um, Margaret Rowe pointed out in her book, our Lord once said that often souls are in less danger in time of great temptation than when assailed by petty failings, such as curiosity, breaking silence, and lack of custody of eyes. These, being regarded as trifling matters, are not guarded against with the same energy as would be expended in the case of a really serious and obvious danger. However... Far from being of little importance, these imperfections are in reality a great hindrance to spiritual progress, because less effort is made in regard to them than is the case with more apparent spiritual dangers. And as the wise man tells us, the one who is careless of little things shall gradually fall to his own ruin. The same rule applies to little acts of courtesy, kindness, and charity. Because they are so trifling, we neglect them instead of seeing them in countless opportunities of proving our love of God. Teresa Margaret counsels us, Force yourself to become like Jesus in humility. If we want to find God, no way is surer than humility of heart and simplicity of soul. We shall obtain nothing without a struggle, but have courage. We shall not lack the grace and help of the Sacred Heart. Let us not waste time, however, for every moment is precious. If we want to become saints, we must work and suffer in silence, keeping our souls in peace. Finally, um, there was one more thing that I wanted to point out about Teresa Margaret, and that was her issuing of spiritual challenge. This custom, which was highly esteemed by Teresa of Avila, was a means of spurring others on to greater efforts by use of natural uh, rivalry. Um, The various exercises of prayer, mortification and virtue were the field of their engagements and the emphasis was to be on the practice of the presence of God. And so they would challenge each other in a spiritual practice and some examples would be, you know, the observance of the rules of silence or deportment with particular exactitude, voluntary practices of mortification, um, curbing self-will and curiosity, extra care performing manual work, etc. You know, I've used this own thing, this this spiritual challenge um, in my own community, challenging uh, my sisters and brothers in Carmel. Uh, to do some spiritual challenge. So, you know, it's something to consider and and I hope that you will uh, take that practice up. Well, finally, uh, what's most important here is that we return love for love. And this was the explicit instructions uh, that Teresa Margaret gave to live out this. She says, to acquire the holy love of God This best means is to live in the presence of God. Just as someone who loves a person often recalls that person to mind, so we too must often remember that God is always present and concerned with doing us good. In love, one must return love for love. And God has loved us and loves us so much in spite of our unworthiness. How then can we succeed in rendering him a similar love, even in part? There is only one way. We must force ourselves to become like Jesus, telling him always in the pains and difficulties we experience, I want to suffer everything without murmuring for the love of my God. I fear nothing. And so we have quickly come to the end of our hour. And I hope that uh, there is something in these examples of Teresa Margaret's life, her heroic virtue, that you might take up and imitate as well. And so we come to a closing prayer. This is a prayer of St. Teresa Margaret Reddy that is found in a, in a book called Drink of the Stream, Prayers of the Carmelites. It's compiled by Penny Hickey. And let us get recollected and pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. My God, I desire nothing save to become your perfect image. And since yours was a hidden life of humiliation, love and sacrifice, so also I wish mine to be. I desire to enclose myself henceforth within your most loving heart, as in a desert, so that I may live in you and with you and for you this hidden life of love and sacrifice. I am confident that all will be accomplished by the fire of divine love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you for joining me on Carmelite Conversations. Next week, Mark will be back, and we'll be talking about a very special grace that Teresa Margaret received. And also, we might get to talk a little bit about her uh, Night of the Spirit. So until then, God bless. Thank you.